0: chapter number one is where we're going to pick up up today. And uh, we just talked last week just about the gospel itself and why it should be first of all. But we started last week by asking what is most important to us? What is most important? What's on our list of priorities in our lives? And uh, we said that that determines a lot about us. It determines our choices It determines the desires that we have in life. It determines the decisions that we made. It it, it determines the goals that we set. Our priority list determines so much about us. And so we said to think about what's on our priority list. What is most important to us? And then where does the gospel fit on that list? Where does the gospel land? What is the gospel to you in importance? Um, we see that Paul, and we looked at it last week, we won't look at it uh, first off today, but in 1 Corinthians 15, when he presents the gospel, the most well-known, clearest presentation of what the gospel is, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, we delivered it to you first of all. It was first of all. It was important. And uh, so where is the gospel in list of priorities in your life? And then let me ask you this. What is the gospel doing in your life today? What is the gospel doing in your life today other than your eternity? Certainly, we know we trust the gospel for our eternity, the message of salvation found in the gospel for our eternity, the forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven forever and ever. But what is the gospel doing to change you right now? What is the gospel doing to make a difference in your life Right now, and I don't believe that it can do anything if it's not first of all in our lives. And so, as we look at scripture, I think there's probably no greater example of someone, first of all, who made the gospel, first of all, but also in somebody who the gospel made a difference, who the gospel made a change. And that's the, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know that before he was Saul and then meeting Jesus on that road to Damascus. Learning of the gospel message. We, we see the change that it made in his life, and, and that was someone for whom the gospel was a priority. We've read throughout so many of the letters that he wrote where Paul is making sure that the gospel is first, and we see in Romans, we see in 1 Corinthians, we see in so many of the other books, just about every single book that Paul will write, he'll make some kind of reference to the gospel and its importance and what it should do in each and every one of our lives, uh, but that wasn't always the, the case for me. Saul, for Paul. Before he became Paul, he was Saul. He was the persecutor of the church. Think about that. Uh, Think about someone who has done terrible things. Uh, against the name of Christ, who has who has persecuted Christians. You read uh, today, even around the world, of people uh, who are struggling under persecutions. Whether it's in uh, China or in Muslim countries in the Middle East, and people who meet just like we are today, but fear for their lives. I was reading just a story the other day of, uh, of a missionary who was working in a Muslim country and a hard Muslim country, and and just had small house church assemblies. Uh, meeting together, and, and uh, they wanted to reach more people, but they weren't exactly sure the best way to go about it. Uh, they were facing some persecution at the time, and so he got his assembly together. And he said, I want you to write a list of three or four names of people who you want to see come to Christ. And after they had written those names, he said, Now, which one of these people is least likely to kill you if you talk to them about Christ? And that's what they were facing. And uh, Saul was one of those people. He was trying to stamp out the gospel, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible says in Acts chapter number uh, eight that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughterings with every, uh, with every breath, with every uh, word, with every thought of his mind. Saul wanted to eliminate the message of the gospel. Here's the thing, Saul thought he was doing a good thing. Uh, Hold your place in Romans. Go look at Philippians chapter number three. Look at Philippians chapter number three. Saul thought he was doing a good thing. Saul thought he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Certainly, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as someone who had learned and come up through the religious culture of the day in uh, in Israel and in Judaism, and and Saul thought he was doing the right thing. Look at Philippians three. Look at verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew of the. Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul said, I was zealous to persecute the church. My goal was to eliminate the church. My goal was to eliminate the gospel, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Paul, at this point, said, when I was Saul, my entire goal was to eliminate the gospel. My entire goal was to eliminate the church. My entire goal was to eliminate the message of Jesus Christ. And I imagine that as Saul went uh, up to a house that he knew Christians were meeting at, and before he banged on the door, he was probably quoting psalms and quoting scripture in his mind, thinking he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, but he was trying to eliminate the message of the gospel. Until, as Paul likes to tell it so many times in the book of Acts, he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, and there was the bright light, and he was knocked to the ground, and he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, It is I, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Paul's life changed forever, and it was because he met Jesus, and he learned the message of the gospel. And uh, we see the great change that took place in Saul to Paul. We see the great change that took place in the persecutor of the church to the greatest missionary that has ever lived. We see a great change in someone who started out trying to eliminate the message of the gospel to someone who said, woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. The great change. You know, we sing that that kid song on the bus or in chapel, there's been a great change since I've been born again. The gospel brings great change. That, that, that song is simple, but it's accurate. There ought to be a great change, and we see that in the life of Saul. When he was Saul, he, that, that, that name Saul means mighty, means powerful, it means strong, named after that, that king of Israel that stood head and shoulders above everybody but was lifted up with pride. That name Saul, he was strong and powerful, but when he became Paul, that means meek and mild, and humble. The change that occurs when Saul, the mighty, meets the gospel and becomes Paul, the humble and the meek. His attitudes, his actions, his desires all changed when he met Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were to meet Paul, if Paul was to come into this room right now and stand before you and you were to ask him, Paul, what changed you? What took you from being one who breathed out threatenings against the church of God and now he is just speaking life and encouragement and, and, and trying to uh, lead them in the gospel message? What, what changed the gospel uh, if you were to look at Paul, and we see this in so many of his writings, and say, Paul, why do you do what you do? Why do you endure all of those persecutions that Paul lists several times in his writings? And why have you been shipwrecked? And why have you been beaten? And why have you uh, been stoned? Why do you endure all that, Paul? The gospel. The gospel made a change. Uh, look at back at Romans chapter number one. Paul met Jesus Paul saw Jesus Paul got the gospel and it made a change. And now Paul says in Romans 1 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. From one who said, I will get rid of it to one who says, I am not ashamed. I will stand next to it. I will lift it up. I will declare it for it is the power of God unto salvation To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel isn't just an abstract truth that we reflect on without ever acting on it. That's what we tried to establish last week. That the gospel, we have used that word so often We have heard that word so often. Those of us that have grown up in church and have known uh, and have heard the gospel and how it's been attached to so many things, but it is not just an uh, inspirational post that we post on Instagram so that people can get warm, fuzzy feelings about it and then never think about it again. That is not the gospel. It's not just a word that we add to our programs or to our extracurricular activities so that we can feel good about it. The gospel is, as verse 16 and Paul said, the power of God. It is the power of God. Don't ever forget that. The, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is the power of God, the very power of God. Not that it contains the power of God. Not that it just points us to the power of God, but that it is the power of God, the power to change, the power uh, to restore, the power to deliver. It is the power of God, the story of Christ and his love for mankind, the length that he was willing to go to prove that is that he loved us. We said last week that the gospel, and we know this, that it is good news, that it means good news. But why is this message of Jesus Christ And what he has done, not just for us, but in our place. Why is it good news? It's good news because man has departed from God's design and sin. It's good news because man lives in brokenness from the time of birth until the time of death. Good news that because we cannot eliminate, solve, or fix that brokenness by ourselves. Good news because through Jesus... Our sins can be forgiven. Our brokenness can be resolved. And we can be restored back to knowing and experiencing God's design and purpose for our lives. And the gospel is good news because now we have purpose again in loving, serving, and following after Christ. Because now Paul heard the gospel, saw Jesus on that road to Damascus, and his life was changed. But but notice As we look at some of these passages, Paul not only begins the Christian life with the gospel, but it continues with the gospel. It's more than just the starting point. It's more than just the diving board. We said last week, the gospel is more than just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's more than just something, a message we believe for salvation. It is something that needs to continue and sustain us throughout the rest of our life. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17 again. The Bible says, for therein, talking about the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for entry into the Christian life, but it's the power of God for the entirety of the Christian life. It changes everything about the way we live. We see in verse number 17 that Paul says the righteousness of God, the the purpose, the plan, the true design of God is revealed in the gospel. Who we are supposed to be in Christ is revealed in the gospel. And he says at the end of that verse, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God and salvation, but it is also the power that sustains us as we live our daily lives. The truth that Christ has given himself for us That we have been bought with a price and now called to bear the message of this good news to the rest of the world like Paul ought to be the purpose that gives us direction in life. We can't just view the gospel as something from which mature Christians graduate, that it's only information necessary to start our journey. You know, in this room, we have got people who are on wide ends of the spectrum of our Christian journey and our Christian life. Some of you have grown up in a Christian home. Some of you have gone to Christian school your whole life. Uh, Some of you, uh, you have been in church since the day you were born, before you were born. Uh, You were in church. And and the gospel and this message has been a part of your life. Some of you have have not been in church very long. And the, the message of the gospel is just something you've heard recently. For every single one of us, the gospel still must be first of all. The gospel still must be the focus. It still must be our message. It still must be recognized as the power for which we and through which we are going to live the Christian life. It's the power that continues to drive the growing process as our faith continues to mature. Uh, Go to Romans chapter number 16. Look at another, another verse here. Romans chapter number 16, look at verse number 25. The Bible says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. That word establish means to set fast. To turn resolutely, to be committed, uh, to create a firm foundation to strengthen the stand. Can I say this? That the gospel is good news. But part of that good news is that the good news gives us strength. The good news gives us strength. Boy, you can be encouraged. As we we have gone the past couple of weeks, and even before as I studied Romans this summer for our Wednesday night series, uh, I've been encouraged by remembering what the gospel is. So easy, it's so easy to, to take it for granted. Oh yeah, Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel. But to think about what that really means to be encouraged by the gospel. Can I say this? Uh, and this is uh, on your handout there. The gospel of Christ not only ignites the Christian life, but it also sustains it. The gospel not only ignites the Christian life, but it also sustains it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, again, we won't take time to look there, but Paul says the gospel is where in ye stand. It's how you stand. It's how you will remain faithful as a Christian. It's how you will grow as a Christian by making sure that the message of the gospel is your focus. It's not just a message we present at salvation and save for that moment alone. The only time that you ever think about the gospel ought not to be when you present it to somebody for salvation. Now, absolutely, the gospel ought to be what you use for that. But it can't just be saved for that alone. It is and ought to be forever the foundation for everything else that we do. You know, what's so wonderful about the gospel is that its message, the truth, uh, it's, it's one that we can come back to for the rest of our lives. Uh, it's one that, that we can always return to because here's the thing. The power of the go- gospel is to resolve our brokenness caused through sin. And that's what it is designed to do through salvation to resolve that brokenness in our relationship with God, the brokenness in our, uh, 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 our, our being apart from the design of God. But not only at salvation. Certainly it does that for all of eternity. But even after salvation, we experience brokenness. You can still experience brokenness in your Christian life when you leave God's design. When you try to... Seek fulfillment in other ways. Uh, When you try to follow after your own desires, your own goals, uh, when you leave what God's purpose is for you, you will receive brokenness. And and the only way to return to that is to stop trying to solve our brokenness ourselves and remember what Christ has done and who we are in him. The power of God and the gospel is there to restore the sinner and the saint alike. To restore us back to our relationship with God. Why is God faithful and just to forgive us our sins? As the Bible says in 1 John, the Gospel, it tells us that our sins were, are, and forever will be forgiven. Uh, How can we know that God wants that close, personal, uh, intimate, abiding relationship with each of us, the Gospel? It tells me to what lengths he would go in order to make that happen. How can I know that I have a purpose in the sovereign will of God for this life, the Gospel? It tells me that God, what God was willing to do, that he was willing to do whatever it would take to make sure that I could be restored back to him. The gospel is the opportunity for each of us to see what God has done for us, what he is doing for us now, and what he wants us to become. Go to Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1. Romans 12 in verse number 1, you know the, the structure of the book of Romans, you know that the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is presenting the message of the gospel. Many of you, if you've led someone to Christ before, have shown them the gospel, you use the Romans road, and we find it in chapters 1 through 11, chapters 3 through 10, if you want to be specific. But that is the gospel, the message of Christ, the message that we are broken in sin, the message that only Jesus could be the one to resolve that brokenness and pay the penalty for that sin, and that we have to accept and trust that as the solution. But now he gets to verse number 12, and like so many of other Paul's writings, he goes from the doctrine, the teaching, the truth, to the application. What do you do now? Now that you know this, what do you do with it? In verse number twelve, or, or chapter twelve, verse number one is where he begins that. So look there. It says, "I beseech you, therefore, I implore you, because of everything I've talked about before, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed." By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of everything I have talked about that is the gospel, Paul says, now it's time to let it do something in you. Uh, This next statement on your handout says, Every day, under the influence and inspiration of the gospel, is an opportunity to be transformed into the image of Christ. Every day, under the influence and inspiration of the gospel, is an opportunity to be transformed into the image of Christ. Look back at verse number two. He says, Be ye transformed. See, that's what, that's what we're going for. Transformed is a change from the inside out, it's a change from the heart, it's a change from the, the source. It's a change, not just changed on the outside, not just putting on, not just looking the part, not just faking it, but an actual change from the inside out. Uh, that, that word has the comes from the same Greek word where we get our word metamorphosis from. The idea of the change of a butterfly, uh, that it, there's a complete, an, an actual, real change going from a caterpillar, Something that is ugly and something that has no use to being something as beautiful as a butterfly. That complete change. And Paul says that's what we want the gospel to do in us. To make a complete change. He said, don't just be conformed. Don't just be conformed. And that word world there in verse number two, look at it. Verse The first phrase, be not conformed to this world. That's not just talking about the world. You know the 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 world out there, the evils of the world, the 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 wicked influences of the world that we always talk to talk about. That word "world" there is just referring to everything around us. It's the day and age in which we live. It's the culture that we find ourselves in. It's the church that we're a part of. Paul says, "Don't just be conformed. Don't just be conformed. Don't don't just." Put on on the outside. Don't just look the part. Don't just talk like the part. Don't just uh, uh, act like the part when they're around. That's being conformed. He said, be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed from the inside out. Be transformed through the gospel of Christ. Now, how do we do that? We do that through the gospel. But we do that as we look at the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the message of Christ. The gospel is the work of Christ for each and every single one of us. So to look at the gospel is to look at Christ. To be confident in the message of the gospel, to be confident in what it means and what it says is to be confident in what Christ has done for us. And here's the thing, look at that next statement. The only way I can truly understand who I am in Christ is to look at Christ. If the purpose of the gospel is to restore us back to God and his purpose and his design for us, who we are in him, then we must look at Christ. That's what we do initially. When you trusted the gospel for salvation, you were looking to Jesus. You were looking to see him as the sinless sacrifice for your sins. You were looking to see him as the spotless lamb of God, and you knew that you needed him because it made you see that you were inadequate. It made you see that you couldn't do it yourself. It made you see that without him, you were and would remain lost. To look at Christ. Um, I really do want to read this, and so I'm going to read it real quick. Um, Those of you that have heard of Charles Spurgeon famous preacher in uh, Victorian age, England, and uh, he's called the Prince of Preachers. And uh, Charles Spurgeon was saved a little bit later in life as a, a teenager, but he tells this story of how he heard the gospel for the first time. And, uh, and it's amazing. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read this and I'll try to be quick, but I, but I think it's important. And so this is Spurgeon speaking himself. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist church. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache but that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I supposed. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved, all The ends of the earth, Isaiah 45 22. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus This is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look, now look and don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look, even a child. Can look, But then the text says, look unto me. I, he said in broad Essex, many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some say, look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Come on ye say, some, some on ye say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When he had managed to spin about 10 minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart. He said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text." But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw it once, the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word look... What a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away. In that moment I saw the sun and could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks to alone to him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and he shall be saved. Look to Jesus. You know, That's obviously the way that every single one of us came to Christ, to be saved. We looked at Jesus. It wasn't ourselves. It wasn't the person that presented the message of the gospel to you. It was the gospel. It was Jesus. But that is not where it starts or stops. Seeing who God is helps you understand who you are and knowing who you are tells you that you need to continue to look to him. Um. We need to stop here, but we'll continue on with this next week. But as we continue on, let me remind you, this week, remember the message of the gospel. Remember what it means to you. Remember what it's done for you. And let it be the power that sustains you as you go on and continue to look to Jesus.